This is the Catching Health Podcast. I'm Diane Atwood. Dr. Mickey Collins wants us to rethink what we know about concussions. Dr. Collins is an internationally renowned expert on sports-related concussions. He is the director and a founding member of the Sports Medicine Concussion Program at the University of Pennsylvania Medical Center. The program works with athletes who have suffered concussions or mild traumatic brain injuries. Athletes from around the world. Dr. Collins is also a leading concussion researcher. I recently attended a presentation he gave at the University of Southern Maine and realized that most of what I thought I knew about concussions wasn't accurate anymore. For instance, did you know there are six different types of concussions? I didn't know. Do you think total rest and inactivity is the best way to treat a concussion? I thought so. Stay with me. Dr. Mickey Collins is going to set us straight on concussions. He's my guest today on the Catching Health Podcast. Hello, Dr. Collins. Thank you for taking time out of what I know must be a busy schedule. Good morning. Good morning. So you've made concussion research your life's work. Why? I was always fascinated for some reason I was fascinated in the brain when I was at, at USM. I had seen, had been in class with some professors that were really, uh, really kind of pushed my buttons at a time when they needed to be pushed. And I was also an athlete and played baseball at USM and was always into sports. And, and I don't know, I just, I wanted to figure out a way of combining my two passions, which was sports and, and studying the brain. And and somehow I've been able to do that. It's been a wild ride, wild ride, but it's been a lot of fun, and I, I really enjoy my work. And USM is the University of Southern Maine, here in Maine where I am, and so you are a Maine native? I am. A beautiful state of Maine. Born in Maine, living in an exile, as they say, but no. <laughs> Pittsburgh is uh, is a beautiful place. I've, I've been in Pittsburgh now since 2000. We have four daughters here. We've raised our family here. We're just, we're happy in Pittsburgh, but we're also, uh, we love the state of Maine. So now you have your doctorate. You are at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. Uh, You are at the Sports Medicine Concussion Program, which is the first and largest research and clinical program that is focused on sports-related mild traumatic brain injury? That's correct. We have, we started a program here in 2000. Uh, I'm housed in orthopedic surgery. I have a dual appointment in neurosurgery as well, Uh, but I'm the director of the UPMC Sports Concussion Program, and and the program is a very large program. We have about 35 faculty and staff. We have approximately 20,000 patient visits a year to our clinic here in Pittsburgh. We see patients from all over the country and world even, and this is is a common injury. It's, you know, there's between 1.8 to 3.6 million concussions occurring per year, in, in sports and recreation alone in this country. And, and this is an area that's been sort of underserved. Uh, and we've learned so much now about how to assess this injury properly and treat it properly. And, and we've made tremendous advances in how we treat concussion. And we have people coming from all over the place to, to get that treatment. I wanted to clarify those terms, concussion and mild traumatic brain injury. Are they the same thing? Yes, they're really essentially interchangeable. A concussion is a it's a type of traumatic brain injury, and we call it mild. It doesn't necessarily have to be mild in terms of outcome, but um, it can be distinguished from moderate, moderate traumatic brain injury, severe traumatic brain injury, which includes you know more serious intracranial problems. But 
concussion in and of itself can can cause significant issues in patients and uh, don't let the term fool you. Okay. So what happens inside the brain when someone has a concussion? Well, you know, you think about the brain is like an egg yolk inside an eggshell. And when the brain moves inside the skull, um, there, the, the membrane to the neuron will become stretched and potassium, which is, uh, is supposed to be inside the cell or neuron will get leaked out. And that increases the demand for glucose or energy. And at the same time, calcium, which is supposed to be outside the cell, will get leaked in, resulting in vasoconstriction or reduced cerebral blood, cerebral blood flow. And so at the very time the brain is demanding more energy, we actually have decreased supply of energy. And, and, and what concussion is, is what we call a metabolic crisis, where the cells and neurons do not work as efficiently as they should. Uh, and we've actually learned that that can produce different types of concussions. There's, there's different types of concussions, much like there's different types of knee injuries, if you will. Okay, I do want to get to that. Um, but what just what you just described that happens in in what a few seconds or does it continue to happen? It happens in a few seconds um, where the permeability of the membrane will will change and, and you have this influx and efflux of of chemicals that are not supposed to be inside or outside the cell, and so that energy crisis will start immediately. But depending on what system in the brain is decompensated, you can have different types of symptoms. And different types of problems, and that and that those systems can become further decompensated if you continue to play or, or continue to do certain things that can exacerbate the problem. Now, in the news recently, there's some uh, the FDA approved a, a blood test, but apparently it's not exactly what it seemed to be at first. No. Yeah, I was a little disappointed in that press release um, because the test has nothing to do with concussion. Um, the only uh, job the only the only ability of that blood test is to determine if there's a need for a CT scan. Uh, the the problem with concussion is that CT doesn't see concussion because this metabolic crisis is, is at the microscopic level. Um, CT scan is not sensitive to concussion, so really that was a pretty significant misrepresentation um, in that in that press release uh, because the test really is not a concussion test at all. So how do you make a diagnosis? Well, it's, it's, it's multiple tools, uh, a good clinical understanding of the injury. Um, we have created ways of quantifying this. Uh, in, in computerized neurocognitive testing is really kind of the standard uh, in terms of how we, we put the brain to work to see if there's cognitive deficits related to the injury. Um, and there are tools approved by the FDA, uh, uh, assistive tools to help with that. Um, what you also have to understand signs and symptoms, and we've also created ways of looking at systems like the vestibular system and ocular systems in the brain, uh, to see if there's problems, but it, it's a clinical diagnosis. There's at this point in time, there is no biomarker for this injury. You're not going to see it in MRI, CT scan, blood test. Um, we don't have uh, a biomarker and, and quite frankly, um, you know, we've been looking for a biomarker for Alzheimer's disease for four decades and, and haven't found one. I mean, I, I don't expect there to be a biomarker uh, around the corner here anytime in, in the immediate future. It's, it's really a very complex uh, injury. The brain is a very complex organ. And at this point in time, it's really a matter of, of having the right clinician uh, use the right tools 
and have the right understanding of the injury to, to uh, affirm the diagnosis of concussion. So what you're saying, they haven't found a biomarker for Alzheimer's and they haven't found a biomarker for concussion either. There's a, a connection because it's in the brain? I'm just saying it's, uh, this is a complex issue and you know everyone wants a blood test or a biomarker, but it, at this point in time, there's not one available. So it's kind of challenging sometimes to diagnose a concussion. Uh, you have some immediate symptoms, but aren't there also some delayed symptoms that can develop over days or even weeks? I would say more days than weeks, Diane. Um, but for example, uh, one of the types of concussions is a problem to the a system of the brain called the vestibular system, which is the part of the brain that allows us Everyone thinks of balance with that, but it's more than that. It's, it's stabilizing our vision. We move our head. It allows us to interpret movement or motion. Uh, and so a patient, let's say an athlete, immediately in the field will get some dizziness. Um, and that's the symptom you would get with a vestibular problem. Uh, it's kind of a slow, wavy, dizzy feel. And the patient's not aware they have a concussion. They, they play through it. They actually may develop a headache much later, like on the bus ride home, or in the car ride home when the vestibular system is 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 really decompensated. Um, a lot of times we'll see patients that don't know they have any injury at all, and then they get into a demanding environment like a bus ride or a car ride in the case of a vestibular problem, and that will further decompensate the, the system where you'll actually have significant symptoms occur at that point in time rather than on the field. Um, now, we most of the time, if not all the time, a patient will have some signs or symptoms occur at the time of the trauma, but then those signs and symptoms can get worse depending on how it's managed. Okay. And if somebody is obviously injured, has hit their head, maybe they're having, um, they pass out or they have a seizure, are those really significant warning signs? Yeah, I mean, certainly both of those would indicate a concussion has occurred, but we've actually just did a study, for example, uh, Diane, where we showed that on-field dizziness is up to six and a half times more predictive of poor outcome than is losing consciousness from concussion, if you can believe that. Wow. So, so, you know, there are signs of injury and there are symptoms of injury. And depending on what type of concussion, you get different signs or symptoms. Um, but we've actually learned that the subtle symptoms like dizziness and fogginess, for example, are, are significantly more predictive of a worse outcome than, than someone who briefly loses consciousness. And also, and, and having a seizure is actually very, I mean, it can occur, and we certainly see that, but it's, it's not very common uh, uh, that you'll see that type of problem occur with a, with a concussion. Why would somebody have a seizure? If there's predisposing factors, if this trauma is significant enough, if it occurs in the motor areas of the brain, we can, we can see that occur. Mm -hmm. Um, but and usually it's in the form of what's called posturing, which is, you, you probably have seen this in, you know, in, on sporting events where the patient will have some rigidity of their, of their limb, they get hit and that's not necessarily a seizure. It's just, but it's a motor phenomena that can happen, happen in the brain due to the metabolic issues that, that I discussed earlier. Okay. Well, why don't you explain what you've learned? These six different types of concussions, what are they? Yeah. So we've learned that they're really, you know, if there's 30 different types of knee injuries, why do we think there's one type of concussion? You know, the brain is infinitely more complex. And we've now been able to determine through our research here at UPMC that that there's really six 
different problems that we see after concussion or six different types of concussions. And they are as follows. Cognitive issues, which are clear, you know, obviously thinking problems. The second type of concussion is a vestibular issues, which I've discussed earlier. And that the symptoms you would get from that type of concussion is this kind of slow, wavy, dizzy feeling, foggy, uh, headache, fatigue. And those patients are going to be bothered in busy environments like, you know, car rides, grocery stores, shopping centers, exercise. That system is really responsible for interpreting movement. And so patients that have sensitivities in those areas is commonly what we'll see. The third type of concussion is ocular or your eyes. You know, 60% of the brain is devoted to moving your eyes. And we can see difficulties in the eyes working as a team, like converging your vision, diverging your vision, eye movements. Patients that have that type of problem will, will have difficulties in math class, uh, physics, reading. They usually get frontal headaches in the front of their head. They'll feel really tired. Their grades will drop. It's a very if that's not recognized, we can see a lot of kids have problems in school. Um, the fourth type of concussion is migraine, uh, which is what it sounds like, you know, headache with light and noise, sensitivity, nausea. The fifth type of concussion is, is cervical issues or neck problems. We can actually see some symptoms come from, from the neck. And the sixth type, t- subtype of concussion is, is anxiety or mood problems. Um, anxiety is, is pretty ubiquitous and common uh, after concussion. There's real biological reasons why patients may get anxious or have some mood changes. And so, you know, those six different types of injuries, a patient can have one of those or they could have all six of them. Uh, obviously, the, the, you know, the outcomes are more significant if, if you have all six of those problems. But the key here, Diane, is, is, is when you identify what type of concussion the patient has, we can then match our treatment to the problem. Instead of like trying to treat this injury in a homogenous, one-size-fits-all way, which is what's been done in the past, we've actually learned that you need to match your treatment to the problem, and our outcomes can be improved quite significantly as to how we, how we treat this injury. So as I recall, the conventional wisdom for anybody who had a concussion used to be total rest and quiet. So I think I hear you saying no to that. And that um, you wouldn't just treat everybody the same way. It's it's a firm no, actually, Diane. Yes, and and you know, in fact, um, a lot of those types of concussions that I just mentioned, uh, rest can actually be uh, disadvantageous to getting someone better. Like when you have a vestibular problem, the only way you're going to improve is by retraining that system. When we put fighter pilots up in the air, we expose them to G-forces to train their vestibular system so they don't throw up in the cockpit. When we have a patient that has a decompensated vestibular system, we actually have to expose them to provocative stimuli and provocative environments to actually retrain that system. And by retraining that system is how you actually improve it, desensitizing it, rehabituation, et cetera. So we've actually here at, at UPMC created very specific types of movement and exercise and, and, uh, and, extra, and, and some vestibular therapy exercises that can help to expedite that process of, of, de- of recompensating that system. Now, if you have a patient with, that's in the middle of a migraine and is immediately, you know, has a migraine from, from a head injury, you're not going to be able to work that patient out aggressively. But we do feel light exercise can be helpful to, to treat the migraine. Uh, et cetera. So, so depending on what type of concussion you have, we have different levels of, of activity that we recommend. 
And in some cases, we actually push athletes really hard even through their symptoms um, to get them better. And, and our outcomes are, are improving uh, significantly by matching the, the right treatment to the right problem. And, and you know, it's a, it's, I could talk for hours <laughs> about how we treat this, but um, there's a lot of complexity to it. We can see kids get better very quickly from this. You have the ability to do this in Pittsburgh, but it's not happening at all schools, at, at all doctor's offices around the country. I mean, what do people do if they live in Portland, Maine? I agree. Um, we need, and that's the challenge of what we're doing is, is, is allowing, you know, is, is translating this knowledge to other clinicians. And that's what science is. You know, we've published, I don't know, over 250 papers, you know, uh, with this injury. Um, like any other medical problem, uh, we need science to lead the way. And we are, what we're doing here is evidence-based, but it takes time to get in journals, uh, to do lectures, to write books, which we just did, um, on this topic. Uh, it, in time it will happen, Diane. And, and I spend a lot of time traveling around the country teaching and there's other great clinics around the country doing similar things. So it's just the process of medicine. Um, it takes time and, and there's a real paradigm shift occurring here. You know, if you look at literature on paradigm shifts, it takes you know 17 years or something like that to, to uh, have a full paradigm shift, and that's what's occurring right now. We're in the middle of that. But if somebody gets injured and they don't get this kind of treatment, what what happens to them? Um, we don't know, and and there's 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 research that needs to be done. Uh, on what the potential uh, effects of this are. Um, I know you've everyone's read in the media about some of the scary things out there about concussion. The fact of the matter is, is we don't know if concussion in and of itself is causing uh, those findings of, you know, tauopathy and et cetera in the brain. Um, there's been no 40-year prospective studies looking at, you know, a cohort of kids who have played, you know, football or, or soccer or whatever. And and had concussions and then followed their outcomes over time and then control for other factors that could be contributing to those findings. We need prospective long-term research to look at this. Right now, I can't tell you with any scientific certainty that concussion in and of itself is causing those problems. It could be concussion and many other factors. It could be other factors and not concussion. Um, we need more, more work and more research to be done. Um, so there is a life's work here uh, in terms of looking at the potential effects of this injury. What I can tell you though, Diane, and I think this is very important, is there are very few kids that come through our clinic in Pittsburgh that we don't get back to sports safely uh, and have really good outcomes and, and, continue, and you know, continue their sports careers and, and really seemingly have no uh, observable problems moving forward. And so I feel this is a treatable injury. Uh, and, and we've actually had I don't think it's ever been safer. There's never been a safer time to have a concussion right than right now uh, if you receive the right care because the care has advanced dramatically in terms of how we treat this problem. Well, I know that you've got patients to see, so, and we're going to have to wrap this up quickly. Can you talk about prevention before you go? Is there a way we can prevent kids and adults from getting hurt? Uh, the short answer is is. No, um, unfortunately. Uh, but I always say that the best way to prevent problems with concussion is to manage it and treat it effectively when you have one. And, you know, when, when patients have an injury, uh, 
they should be aware of the subtleties of the injury. Uh, they should seek uh, medical care and make sure they're going to a clinician that, that understands and how to deliver that care. Um, and, and, you know, the great, great, great majority of the time, we're going to get kids back to play safely and effectively. And I think sports are a wonderful thing for kids. And, um, and it's not just sports causing this injury either. We see so many, you know, MVAs or slip and falls, et cetera. This is a very common injury. The reality is, is, is that it's treatable. There's a lot of advances and, and, you know, it's, 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 it's things like this, Diane, where we can translate the right information to the public. And I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you this morning. Sure. Any final words of wisdom? Uh, anything I did not ask that I should have? No, I think it was a, a really good questions. And, and, you know, one thing I'm not satisfied with my response is when I said, you don't have to, I mean, you don't, everyone doesn't have to come to Pittsburgh to get care. There's, there's some great clinicians out there doing great work. There's very knowledgeable uh, people uh, doing work in concussion, and that is that is really sp- spreading across the country and world even. Uh, and so uh, I want patients to feel uh, like they can get the access to great care, and, and that's, that is really occurring across the country. There's great things being done with this injury, and a lot of people are, are very smart now with concussion. Right, but one of the things that does set you apart at Pittsburgh is the research that you're doing. So you're considered the experts. Yeah, I think it's the it's the research and the volume of patients. I mean, I'm about to embark upon a day here where I'll see you know, you know, a couple dozen patients, and and uh, if you do that every day, you you kind of get smart with it over time. And we just we have so many patients here, and we've learned a lot. So, no, I appreciate the opportunity to be involved this morning, and uh, and uh, I appreciate Diane. Thank you. Yes, well, thank you. I'll let you go, and on to your patients. Every year, between 1.8 and 3.6 million people in this country suffer a concussion. There are a lot of myths concerning concussions. Dr. Mickey Collins covered some of them in this podcast. If you'd like to know more about concussions, other myths, symptoms, treatment, and current research, go to catchinghealth.com, where you'll find the show notes for this episode and direct links to resources and additional information. And while you're there, take some time to look around. You'll find recipes, fitness tips, blog posts on a variety of health and wellness topics, and more podcast episodes. I'm Diane Atwood, host and producer of the Catching Health podcast. Thanks for listening, and I hope you have a great day. Mm